We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spider-Man. You get all the attention now. Ooh, I like that. Spider-Man. That might be called new nickname. Swider basket in a foul. Eddie Casey. Swider. Answer back. Swider from deep. Laces the three. Swider. And one. Count the bucket. Cole was not able to join us. Cole Swider was not able to join us on the Cole Swider show. Um you missed it he had 31 last night for uh the sky force and then this morning i had to fly back to miami at 5 30 in the morning and had more miami heat stuff going on today so unfortunately he wasn't able to join us however we did have drew carter on um of nbc sports boston adam held it down on the second mic we had a great conversation with him we talked all things in season tournament we talked cuse as he is a cuse guy um, new house talk, and then basically just, I don't know, talking ball, talking announcing. Great conversation. Um, he's very good. He's an up-and-comer. He's 26 years old. Next year he's going to be the official voice of the Boston Celtics. So um, definitely check that out. We'll be back next week. Cole will be back next week. Um, and, yeah, we got big plans for you guys coming up. But if not, watch Cuse, watch the Heat, watch the in-season tournament. Watch uh, Sioux Falls and listen to the show. So enjoy episode 55, and we'll see you guys next week. All right, this wireless show. We're very honored, excited to welcome on Drew Carter of NBC Boston. This was a uh, a long-awaited guest. There's been a lot of weeks where we've try- been trying to pin him down, but he's a busy guy. He's hard to pin down. He's he's on the move. He's the voice of the Boston Celtics. Um, I'm sure we're, we'll have two people on this podcast nerding out over that later on but drew uh like i said long awaited thank you for uh for joining the sweater show yeah patty it's great to be here man thanks for having me um i'm, I'm just disappointed that cole's not here you know you say i'm yeah, hard to pin down cole we got right. cole on the jet from <laughs> south dakota to south beach so i understand it but cole if you're listening uh let's do this again soon and then we can actually chop it up i can tell you why the celtics are going to win the east yeah, I don't know about that last sentence, but <laughs> we do apologize dearly that Cole was not able to make it um, the life of a two-way, as we've described on the show before, and I'm sure we'll describe before you're on here on this episode, is very tough, especially when uh, the G League team is like 2,000 miles away from the <laughs> NBA team. So I think he was, he was a little tuckered out. He had a lot going on. So, um, But, Drew, I want to start. So as we speak right now, the in-season tournament is going on. 
Um, I want to like kind of break down the games. The Celtics got blown out by the Pacers the other night. Oh, but Patty, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, but it lives. Yeah. Right now, the the I'm a Bucks guy. I don't know if you've gotten that. So this podcast has the Heat, the Bucks, and the Celtics represented. Um, so I don't know if we could like duke it out over that, but. <laughs> I just want your perspective, someone who's in it day to day, who has never seen the in-season tournament. How do you view this as like a success? Do you think it's something that they should definitely do every single year? Would you make any tweaks to it going forward? Like the inaugural in-season tournament, what would you kind of rate it? Well, you know, I'm going to sound like a total NBA mouthpiece here, but I think it's been awesome. Like watching this game right now, this is cool. Indy is up. We're recording this on Thursday night. Indy's up 10 late first half and, you know, actually, they asked us to fill out a bracket for the in-season tournament, and I, I didn't have the balls to do it because I actually thought Indy was going to beat the Celtics. Really? But I, I didn't want that, you know, out there publicly yeah, before can't that be game. That, yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> like I work with Brian Scalabrini. That's my partner on these games. Right. And he, had, he had the Celtics winning it all, of course. And he was, you know, he was cocky, and he's like, oh, we're going to win. Like, we're going to Vegas. Like, we wouldn't have done those games in Vegas. They're national exclusives, but – was like the team's going to Vegas, no doubt. I'm like, I don't know, bro. I think Indy, first of all, the Pacers can beat anybody, as you right. know, Colts Heat learned two days before our game against them. So Saturday they were in Miami for the second of two in a row, and Halliburton wasn't even playing, and they still won. They they put up 144 against Miami without their best player. And I, I just love this Pacers team. And I think the in-season tournament, one of the reasons I love it, it's a great opportunity for a team like Indiana to mm-hmm. sort of break out and establish themselves on a national stage. That game against the Celtics was the first game Tyrese Halliburton had ever played on TNT. He's been in the league for four years. Really? It's like it's like impossible, right? Because he played on the Kings when they were bad. Yeah. And he's been on the Pacers, and the Pacers weren't very good last year. I mean, if you're an NBA sicko like all of us Damn. on the call, you I know how to that. makes sense, but that like hearing yeah. that out loud is is very like jarring. I know, right? So it, it's a good opportunity for them. And I think the Pelicans, too, they made it to Vegas yeah. to get on this stage. So I love it for that reason. I think it's been a smashing success in terms of how much the players give a shit. Like, I hope we can say that. But the the give a shit factor is through the roof. You know, yeah. I, I heard you mentioned maybe some tweaks that they could make. I thought going into it, there had to be some extra incentive. Like, I, I don't believe a, a playoff spot would be a good call for this because then a team could kind of pack it in for the rest of the season after early December. But maybe a draft pick, you know, a lottery pick could be good, an extra incentive for the team that wins this. But I do think that even without that stuff, the guys really care. First of all, yeah. you know, it's easy to say, oh, 500K, like doesn't matter to Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Well, most of the guys on the roster are not making $60 million a year, you know? Also, like... like- 500k is 500k like you could yeah. do like they could add they could add some shit to their house like they get a new car like yeah it's still gonna go it's still gonna be worthwhile 500 grand is a lot of money or you could just have an epic night in vegas before you right come exactly home, you yeah. know like everyone wants 500 g's so i think there's enough incentive there plus even without the money guys like you know being around nba players and playing in college patty like these guys are competitive as hell yeah. and if there's if there's a chance to win something they're gonna play really hard so i think it's been a huge success the only tweak i would make is no more red courts and let's make sure that if we're going to use these new floors let's make sure guys aren't slipping all over the place we actually had a, a an incident where jalen brown 
he yeah. slipped on a court toward the end of a game and it, it seemed like he was going to be out for a little bit. He he wasn't because he's a freak, but he he was questionable for a couple after that with a groin or a ductor, whatever. I never know a ductor versus abductor. I just see those words on the machines at the gym, but I think yeah. it's a groin. And so he slipped on the court and it seemed like he tweaked his groin. So we got to make sure next year that the courts are really ready for this. But aside from that, I think it's been a huge success. Yeah, I think the format of it, um, I like, for our listeners will remember, I like completely didn't understand it at first, but now I'm the biggest in-season tournament guy there is. But yeah. I actually think the groups and everything made sense. Like, I, I think the the right teams kind of are where they're at. And uh, like tonight with these semifinal games, I think everyone that like deserves to be there is actually playing well. I, as I said, I'm I'm pulling for the Bucks just because I love Damian Lillard, but I mean, the Pacers making it, like you're saying, that'd be like a big chip on the shoulder for a team that hasn't necessarily done anything in the past. Um, my next question, last thing on the in-season tournament is, who do you think will be the first person to have the take? And are you kind of concerned that this will now become like, oh, the in-season tournament got so much play that now the actual like regular, regular yeah. season games are devalued even more than they were beforehand? Yeah, I've heard that from a couple people, and it's it's almost like the in season tournament has been too good. <laughs> like the NBA yeah, exactly. has their own success because like they should have waited like two months or some shit. Yeah, like. right. And but but I do think it's the right time for this, guys, because mm-hmm. this is going to be you know inside TV here. But I think part of the reason the league is doing this is because at this time of year, everyone's watching the NFL. Everyone cares about their fantasy team and right. You know, Thanksgiving is sort of when the NFL season really heats up or it heats up as the weather gets cold or whatever the broadcast. Right, um, so I think it's the right time for it. Now, with that being said, you know, I actually heard JJ Reddick talking about this on his podcast today, where he said, you know, really the doldrums of the NBA season are the new year to the all-star break. It's like, just, just get me to the all-star break. After that point, yeah. the newness of the NBA season has sort of worn off. You get mm-hmm. through the holidays. Christmas Day is a huge tent pole for the league, and then you got New Year's, and then at that point, at that point, it sort of slows down in terms of how much the guys care. But I also think, you know, in an 82 game season that spans from October, and if you're playing all the way to the end to mid June, that's just going to happen naturally. And you know, you can at a certain point do too much. I think the in season tournament is the perfect blend of keeping the games relevant for the regular season giving guys an extra thing to play for and also just adding some juice at a time of the year where people really aren't watching the NBA yet. You know, I think the casual fan, they might buy in around the all-star break, you know, after the Super Bowl. All right. The games now they mean a little bit more. Now you sort of don't have a choice. Like the in-season tournament is such a big deal, at least, you know, from my perspective, I feel like this is a great way for NBA fans to sort of get back into it, realize who's on which team now do their own, like who he play for realize like, Hey, the Pacers are a really fun team. I got to keep tabs on them the rest of the year. Hey, the, the Kings are good again. Hey, the Pelicans are good. Like let's watch these teams. And then by the time they, they get past the all-star break and it's like go time, then they're all sort of involved in it. So I hear that argument. You're right. Someone's going to make it like the in-season tournament diluted the rest of the season, but at a certain point, like that's going to happen regardless. I think. Right. It'll be like Perker. I don't know, Mac yeah. uh, Greeny or some some someone on that show will say it and make a Definitely. whole big stink of it. Yeah, right after they say that Taylor Swift ruined the Kansas City Chiefs, yeah. those, those <laughs> will be the two takes. Drew, you're a Syracuse guy like the rest of us. Um, I kind of wanted to just give some information on that. Your class of 2019, that's right. That's correct, yes, sir. House. 
my man. Um, so, so you, uh, we have, we have Jake Marsh on the show every once in a while and he mentioned you, um, as you know, having a great job a couple of years out, kind of like that class a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Noah has a good gig as well. There's a couple names and, you know, Syracuse is always putting out great people in this industry, but it seems like that time has given us a lot of good, like announcers and talent. So, um, if you don't mind talking really quick about your experience at Syracuse, um, we have a lot of Syracuse fans, so I'm sure everyone's going to be interested to hear. Hell yeah. And, and I'm, I'm loving the uh, Red Autry experience. I, I feel like, you know, I'm excited about the future of the program, excited about football too. I, I kind of buying into Grant Brown after seeing that press conference. Uh, but yeah, you're right. 2019 is when I graduated. So we were talking about this before we started recording, but I do not have access to my syr.edu email anymore. Mm-hmm. Lost that years ago at this point. Uh, I can't. I can't mooch the university for a free Zoom premium account <laughs> yeah. like some of us on the call can. I wish I could. Um, but yeah, it was it was great to be there, dude. And I feel really lucky because you mentioned Noah and Jake was a year older than we were. But that that class, 2019, those are still my best friends. And yeah, I think it's easy at that place. And you guys all know this, like being there. Newhouse is pretty competitive. Um, there's a reason why it's, you know, the best journalism program in the country bar none Uh, anyone from arizona state or ball state or northwestern listening to this can kiss my ass if you think differently all state is that a thing ball state has produced some some legit broadcasters lately like connor onion mick tidro uh jack kaiser those are my guys but they know they know what the deal is that that (laughs) yeah i didn't know that uh mizzou probably gets a shout out there but syracuse is number one and the reason i think is because people go there and everybody wants to be great you know, it's, I'm sure it's a lot like being on the heat, you know, like talk about heat culture. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why the heat are always in the mix. I, th- I think there's something similar at Syracuse. When you get there, you're kind of wrapped up in the environment of everybody wants to do this and it's competitive in the industry. So it's competitive at school. Um, but the good thing is for us, it was a healthy competition. You know, it's easy for it to get unhealthy and, you know, toxic. Why is, why is he assigning this game to this guy instead of me? And, you know, mm-hmm. I also was fortunate to go to school with Noah. So Noah basically beat me for every leadership role. And I was pissed in the moment. But I, looking back on it now, like, Noah was way more mature than I was at that point, still is. Um, and he was ready for that stuff at that age, and I wasn't. And so Noah kind of set the tone for all of us. And Noah's like, no, by the time he was five years old, was like an adult, I think. I mean, if you know his dad and his whole family, it, it makes sense. So we had a great relationship, us two, and then everyone else in our class. And those guys were still my best friends. Like every Sunday night, we would have a meeting at the radio station. And then we'd go out to dinner because it was Syracuse on a Sunday night. Our options were basically Chili's and Applebee's. And we would hit those places up every Sunday. It was so early, too. Yeah. right. We'd, ha- we'd have a great time. We'd be out there by like 9.30 or 10, yeah. uh, drive through the <laughs> snow back to our dorm and that's just how life was. We a bunch of us lived together junior and senior year. So it was a great experience, man. And I, I feel like we all made each other better. And then we all learned a lot from the alumni as well. And that's another reason why Syracuse is the best. Like the alumni, first of all, there's so many of them. And then they're all willing right. to help the next generation. So that's what we're trying to do now. Noah Eagle. Noah Eagle. Ian Eagle's legend, Ian Eagle's son. Who's a, yeah. He's with the Nets now, correct? He's with everybody, dude. I, I think Noah called a game for every network by the time he was 24. Yeah. <laughs> but he's uh, he's full-time with NBC. He does the Big Ten football and hoops. And then he does – he's doing about 10 games for the Nets this year, he said. Okay. So the Nets yeah. have 
Ian, who's a legend, like you said. Yeah, that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, so those guys, I mean, to be part of the same broadcast and the, yeah. and the one that Noah grew up watching, like that's that's pretty legit. And then there right. are other guys, Ryan Rucco, who does games yeah. for ESPN as well. He's like the voice of the WNBA, and they have so they they've got a, a pretty good crop in Brooklyn, that's for sure. Yeah, and that's like kind of my point career. with uh, with Newhouse. It's like you'll have people that have those connections, but you can go out and get your own connections also. Like for instance. Drew Carter is doing our podcast because I DM'd you on Instagram and then you texted me 20, like a couple days later or whatever. Like we're, we're, everyone's open to doing everything and we're, we make connections constantly. Right. So no matter who, you know, like freshman year by senior year, you're going to have a good uh, network of people. Um, and that's why it's the best communication school in the world. Um, yeah, Adam, if you went to Arizona state, I would have blocked your ass. Yeah. I would okay. have <laughs> Come on. What are we doing? Yeah. Um, on Syracuse, really quickly, you mentioned Red Autry's uh, new coaching gig and the whole thing with Bayheim. Um, can you just talk about that really quick about how, how you feel about how college basketball is right now, especially at Syracuse, um, from like an NBA perspective, also where you see what works there and what maybe what's not working in college basketball, or maybe what is. Well, you know, this year, Adam, I, I went in telling everybody I'm I'm more excited to watch Syracuse than I have been probably in ten years. Um, the funny thing about Cuse is when I was in high school, the besides, team was sick. Uh, besides two what, years ago, right? What's that? When me and besides two years ago when Cole and I were on the team. Oh, before. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I know. You guys Sorry, cut you Cole off. Cole and Patty sniping. For my bad joke. Yeah. Uh, no, that's good. But when I was in high school, dude, that team was like a top three seed every year. Like Dion mm-hmm. Waiters came off the bench for them. That's how loaded they were. And then we got there and we were on the bubble all four years. And so it was kind of it was kind of disappointing. We had some good runs though. My freshman year, Final Four, uh, Sweet right. Sixteen, a couple years after that. But I, I hadn't been that excited to watch a team in a while because this is going to look different. It was going to look different for the first time in almost fifty years. Uh, and so I, I think the early returns have been pretty encouraging. You know, Judah's awesome. He, he's yeah. probably a first team All ACC guy. He was on uh, ACC Network the other night, and Bayheim was in the studio, and that was funny to. You know, I think Judah did the interview with the announcers and then they played it back on the show. And, you know, Jay Alter, who's also a Cuse guy, was calling the game. He, he asked him, like, what do you think Bayheim would say to you after this game? And Judah was like, I got to make my free throws because he yeah. missed three. Um, and Bayheim was like, yeah, I'd probably say that, but also yeah. just really proud of him. And it's been cool to see Bayheim, you know, sort of transition into that new role. Right. Everybody thinks he hates the media. And I've, I've always sort of brushed up against that. I've never thought that Bayheim hates the media. He hates if you ask him a dumbass question or if you if you ask him a narrative-based question that doesn't make any sense, then he'll go after you and it's going to be very entertaining. But Bayheim in the media, I think he's been great. He's only done a couple shows, but he's been awesome. And I'm excited for Red. You know, to like full transparency, I, I didn't really expect it to be him. I thought maybe it would be GMAC or maybe they'd go for Hopkins or somebody who maybe left and then would come back. But I think the early returns on red have been really encouraging and it's obviously different playing some man and then different in terms of him at the podium. He's a, he's basically 180 from Bayon. Right. Like I don't see, yeah. I don't see red ripping student journalists anytime soon, but it's been fun to follow from afar. Are you able to watch much with your schedule and everything? A little bit, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. I, I logged into Ken Palm for the first time this week. I'm a huge Ken Palm guy, and you can ask any of my friends. I've been annoying about that shit since we were in college, but I love Ken Palm. I just, you know, you're, you kind of have to plug in to one or the other in what we do. And so I'm plugged into the NBA right, right now. 
Uh, but it was cool. The other night I was watching the UConn uh, UNC game at MSG. Yeah. So I, I sort of got a little bit of college basketball. I got my fix that way. Um, and then and then checking Ken Pop. So I haven't watched a ton, but enough to be excited about. Yeah, games. I was uh, I was at that game, actually, at the Garden. That was a great game. That was my third straight Jimmy V Classic because two years ago we played in it. Last year I went and I ran into Jake Marsh and we had interviewed him like the week before. Yeah. I got a bunch of clout because I was like, oh, I know Jake Marsh. <laughs> <laughs> and then this year I went again. But, um, yeah, I'm always curious about that, like with your guys – like schedules and everything. The other thing that Adam asked from like an NBA perspective, I feel like basketball. Um... We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A problem of it, in my opinion, is this like war between like college basketball and the NBA and people always try and divide it and make it like I feel like college basketball fanatics hate the NBA and vice versa and it's like they're just constant like shitting on each other do you feel like I feel like it's at the point now where it's almost two completely different sports and I don't know why you can't just kind of like treat it that way and not like hate on it if you're a fan of one um like for the other so I don't know what's your what's your take there. Do you do you, as an NBA guy watch college and you're like, oh my god, these kids are awful. <laughs> well, yes, but that doesn't yeah. mean I hate yeah. it. You know, like I I, I love both. I think yeah, it's and and also it it gives you an appreciation for when you know guys do really cool stuff. I think, um, you know, right. it, it was it was funny in the the preseason. The Celtics played a couple legit high scoring games. Like we played the Wizards. Right. And so any any game the Wizards play is high scoring because they don't defend at all. And I said something like high scoring game and someone tweeted at me and they're like, you're not doing college basketball anymore. Like all these games are high scoring. And I'm like, I guess you're right. Like, and, and so I'm sort of, I know, I know. So I've sort <laughs> of been thinking about that. But I mean, it is it is a lot different. Obviously, the games are a little bit shorter and the shot clock is longer, but the shot making mm-hmm. is just not on the same so level. Yeah. But I, I don't think that means you have to like one and hate the other like you don't have to plant your flag i think they both have amazing aspects part of the reason i love the in-season tournament is doing that game in indiana it almost felt like a college atmosphere you know indianapolis technically a small market by nba standards it's it's a state that loves basketball they're crazy for it they say you know in 49 other states it's just basketball and then there's indiana but I, i think I miss the college environments, but the cool thing about working for the Celtics is a lot of the environments do feel sort of collegiate. And by that, I mean, 
people are absolute psychos in the best possible way. I mean, you guys know it at Syracuse, like there's not a whole lot else to do during hoop season. You know, you, you trudge through the snow and you go to the dome and you're one of 30,000 screaming idiots watching your favorite team. That that's part of the reason why college is so special. And also like, you know, 99.9% of Celtics fans never played for the Celtics. They don't really have an association. Maybe they're from here or their parents like the team, but a lot of fans of college hoops actually do have an association. Like we went to Syracuse. So I think the, the blood runs a little bit thicker. Um, and of course that's, that's a, a team by team basis. Yeah. And so I never thought of it that way. And, and think about the Celtics guys. Like that's, I think I'm biased, but I think it's the best fan base in the NBA. Um, and, and even then it's just, it's a little bit different in college. Um, so I, I think there are awesome aspects of both. I feel like we should all just get along and enjoy basketball. No, I totally agree. I guess like the argument there would be people from Boston have grown up like going to games with their parents and everything, but it is, there's like a difference when, I don't know, you're like a student on the campus and, and it's like you and your boys literally only like existing in this environment. And then you have to go to these games and just freak out and have as much fun as possible. Yeah. And dude, I was, I was texting my buddies about this the other day, like, because Bayham was on ACC networks, we were talking about it. We're all obsessed with him. And we think yeah. his press conferences are the funniest shit of all time. But I was like, <laughs> think about the impact this man has had on all of our lives. Like, this is a group chat. My best friends, all of us met in college. So I'm like, we all went to Syracuse partially because of Jim Beheim. Like, yeah. if the basketball program wasn't what it is, I don't know how many of us end up there. And that was a huge reason why I decided to go to Cuse is to be able to call high-level college events. Um, and so... To think about, like, he's almost like the Pied Piper for thousands of kids who wouldn't have gone to Syracuse otherwise. Yeah. And then he's on top of that, giving us all these great moments, like going to the Final Four and, you know, calling Andy Katz an idiot and tell, yeah. telling people, like, don't ask Johnny Flynn if he's going to the draft. Like, all this shit, man, it, it rolls into one. Like, Jim Bayham has probably had as big of an impact on my life as anybody aside from my parents. You know, how nuts is that? We did a that, draft. There's a clip together. for the week, yeah. Um, Syracuse basketball moments with Buddy Beheim. Like he was one. It was me, Cole, Patty, and Buddy. And I gave like multiple of my events were like Jim Beheim moments, like him doing yeah. things. And and they they were obviously Buddy's gonna laugh at that kind of thing. But I'm like, like it's so iconic that like that he is the program, and that's also adds into everyone knows this, but it adds into why you go there and why right. you're so obsessed with like. All of us in this call watch those press conference, all 15 minutes of them, just because of yeah. what it says to people. Like that, Beham, he even said that in one of his when he was going at Bud Poliquin a few years ago because Bud was like the program's in a down era. Beham's like, we've been to the Final Four twice in four years. Like, what are you talking about? They go after it for a long time, and toward the end of that, he's like, people pay to watch this. This is entertainment. You realize that, right? I'm <laughs> yeah. like, dude, you're so right. Like, I would yeah. absolutely pay a subscription to watch these pressers. Like a thousand percent. And I don't know, it, it's so much better when, cause he's just like that. Like he's actually just genuinely him at the podium, which yeah. is, he might be the only coach ever, like who got to his level and still remain just, no, that's actually how he is behind closed doors. Yeah. So you got to see him behind the scenes. Is that how he's like in practice? Yeah, well, like the number one question I get from being a walk on is like, oh, like what's Bam? Like, I'm like, he literally is just, he's as genuine of a guy as you'll ever meet. Like how he acts, like, it, I don't know, people think it's, it's like, oh, he's such an asshole, but he's he's just being honest. Like he responds yeah. to reporters as if 
he would respond to someone like if they asked him that at any point in his life. So I don't know. I think especially in coaching, there's so many guys that act one way and then they close the door in the media room and go in the locker room and are completely different. And I don't know. You definitely can't say that about him, which I think is like maybe the best thing about him and like the biggest compliment to him. But um, I don't know if I could say that anymore because you basically just said thousands and thousands of kids chose to go to Syracuse for, (laughs) for bad. (laughs) It is true though. But um, I guess transition off the cues talk Uh, from your perspective, like, you're now with the Celtics. I know you had a bunch of internships and, and jobs within baseball. You were, um, I know in Alabama, you were basically doing every sport and a lot of kids that, um, you know, chose, choose that lifestyle, choose that path. Like you have to have this faith that it's just going to work out. Did you have like a ton of, or did you ever have moments where you're like, I don't know, like doubts is creeping in. You're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to the point of, of where you're at now is, the voice of the Celtics, like I said before? Um, I guess. I mean, I think it's it's natural. You know, I, I sort of decided I wanted to do this in high school. I took a journalism class and I started writing for my high school newspaper. And I remember watching, have you guys seen All the President's Men, the movie? I've like, I actually almost watched it on a plane recently, but I didn't pull the trigger. All right. It's like an old flight. school, what, like 70s, 70s yeah. movie, right? Yeah. Next flight you take, Patty. You got to watch it. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's one of my favorites of all time. It's, it's uh, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman are playing Woodward and Bernstein. The uh, they're the journalists who basically broke the Watergate scandal. Oh yeah. And so the movie it it sort of it puts a microscope on the impact that journalism can have on society at large. And so I was never trying to you know be an investigative journalist. I was never going to be Woodward or Bernstein. But I sort mm-hmm. of I sort of fell in love with the idea of that. And I realized that, you know, talking about sports could be something I do for a living because mm-hmm. at that point, it's like, I don't know what I want to do. Shit. The only thing I like is watching basketball, <laughs> football, like and talking about it with my friends, like playing fantasy. That's what I like. And so when I realized that I could do it for a career, I don't know, man, I just I think I've gotten really lucky at every turn, like getting into Syracuse for one, getting into Newhouse. I remember taking the tour of Syracuse spring break junior year in high school. And I had a tour at Ithaca scheduled for later in the day. And while we were doing the like general Syracuse University tour, the guy was like, hey, by the way, there's a new house specific tour this afternoon if you guys want to stick around. And I went, I look at my dad. I'm like, yeah, we're not going to Ithaca today. We're staying all day. And so <laughs> I just fell in love with it. But the, the dean, the late great Dean Branham, who spoke to the prospective students, she told us, hey, there's a 9% acceptance rate for Newhouse. I'm like, oh, I'm fucked. <laughs> no way. Like, I was a decent student in high school, but not great. And so I thought there was no way I was going to get in. I feel like I lucked out with that. You know, met a guy in the admissions department. Shout out to Wes Whiteside, big Vikings fans. We connected on that. I'm still convinced he played a big role in me getting in. Um, he wrote the essay, had the interview. And I, I think maybe they could tell how passionate I was about this stuff. And so, you know, they let me in the door and then like basically had an opportunity to work in broadcasting every day I was there, whether I was, you know, practicing before I actually got the chance to be on the mic or, you know, doing sports updates, calling games, hosting shows, reporting. And I guess my my entire mindset throughout school was I'm not going to worry about the job market. I'm just going to focus on being as good as I can every day. Not to sound like a college football coach, but yeah. be as good as I can every day and everything's going to work itself out. And that was sort of the same mentality I adopted in Alabama. You mentioned that was my first job. I did local news for two years. Um, And 
it was the same type of thing. Like, so I guess, I guess not really, you know, I, I think when you find what you feel like you were meant to do or, you know, right. not to get philosophical or religious or anything, it just sort of felt like this was the right thing. Um, and so I just think I'm super lucky to be able to do it. And the whole goal is to enhance the experience for people watching or listening to their favorite team in sport. Um, and that's how I feel like we can have impact is by teaching someone something or putting a smile on someone's face or may- maybe telling a story that makes someone emotional. You know, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of impact in what we do. Um, at least I hope sure. so. And so that, that stuff has always just kind of come natural. And I, again, I feel really lucky to do it. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned uh, Wes Whiteside. He also helped me with an interview. Um, yes. I was, yeah. I mean, everyone meets him that to- that either tours there or gets the email about it. And uh, you mentioned like teaching and like learning from people. Do you have anyone in? It could be sports or just regular like communications departments at in Newhouse that like really maybe are still there that we like we could talk about, but that you felt like shepherded you through and really supported you. Yeah, so many. I, you know, the guy who stands out is John Smith from WAER. The uh, so for those who don't know, I'm sure everyone does listening because we got a lot of Syracuse people. But WAER is 88.3 FM in Syracuse. It's the NPR station for Syracuse, and it's a professional station, obviously. But the sports department is run by students, and so that's where we get to call football, men's hoops, men lac- men's lacrosse. We do sports updates every day. We do talk shows. Like we get as much experience as possible. I, I think. I think everyone who wants to do this should really start in radio because you learn so much about performance and like inflection and breathing and all that stuff without having to worry about how you look or like what the graphic says, you know, and so you get to become comfortable with that stuff. So that's why I feel like Syracuse, it's part of the reason why the process works is because you start in radio and John Smith is the morning edition host on WAER. And so we had some great times together, man. Like no one I'd rather wake up at 5 a.m. to hang out with than John Smith because the first update's at 6.30. So you got to get the, get get in there wicked early. And Johnny and I are, are still tight to this day, you know, four years after graduation. And he taught me a ton about being good on the radio, but also just being a good human being. Um, and I feel like I grew a lot hanging out with him. And then, I mean, all the Newhouse professors too, a lot of whom hate the sports guys because they're like, they think it distracts from the, you know, news journalism aspect. I'm sure you've run into that, Adam. But like, if I get a chance to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium and call a Syracuse Duke game when Zion and RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish are playing, I'm gonna do that. Like, sorry, yeah. I might I might miss out on, you know, reporting on the city council meeting in Syracuse, but I'm gonna go do that. 
Um, and so I'm thankful that I had professors who were okay with that, even if it took a little convincing. And by the way, that game, probably the coolest game I called at Syracuse, we beat Duke when they were number one in the country in overtime. Um, Elijah Hughes made a half-court shot at the end of the first half. Go to OT. Pascal Chuku had like 28 and 13 or something ridiculous. Um, Bayheim on the sideline was like going nuts 10 different times throughout the game. We won yeah. 95-91. And I called that game with Noah, who we were talking about earlier. And the way we, we do it at WAER is you split up first and second half, who's doing play-by-play and who's doing color. Because we all want to you know, call the game. We all want to do play-by-play. Because none of us are going to ever be analysts in the real world because we didn't play at a high level. So you want to do the play-by-play. And he asked me, do you want the first or the second half? And I said, I'll take the, I'll take the first half because we're going to get our asses kicked. So I don't want to be calling a blood in the second half. <laughs> He's like, all right, man, good call. We end up going down 12 nothing. I'm like, I look at him. I'm like, I told you, dude, this team's way too good. And then fast forward, he called the second half and overtime and probably the best game we had when we were students. So that's yeah, what that I get for not having faith. That game anymore. was sick. Yeah. That was a fully healthy Duke team, too. I think the entire team played. Like RJ and Zion both were in that game, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. Trey Jones was on that team, too. I think yeah. he, Trey Jones did get hurt in the like late first half. But yeah. aside from that, everybody was there. And Pascal played the game of his life. It was so cool. And I remember at halftime, so Cameron Indoor Stadium, for those who have never been there, is tiny. There are like three or four so men's rooms yeah. in the entire building. So you need to take a leak at halftime. Good luck. And so Noah and I are like sprinting down from where we were, perched up in the corner of the building. We're like sprinting down to the bathroom. We run into Sean, Sean McDonough, who was calling the game on TV. And uh, I'm like, so Sean, what'd you say on that Elijah Hughes buzzer beater? He goes, I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I, I like, I'll never forget that day, man. And that's, that's what Syracuse gives you the chance to do is yeah. call events like that. He's yeah. I got, meet I got to meet yeah, Sean. I didn't know that. He was the yeah. MC, like the Bayheim ball thing that we have every April, um, the year that I was there and he was like the MC and just was roasting Bayheim and all the coaches and all the players. It was like, I was really laughing at it. I didn't know he like was that funny. He's like a stand-up comedian. Yeah, he's actually hilarious. We did a, a college football seminar uh, last year, so before the 2022 college football season, and we had these panels where people would come up and talk, like they preview every Power Five league. So there was an ACC one, SEC one. Sean had the last one of the entire seminar, so everyone's like checking their watches, like let's get out of here. I got a flight to catch out of Charlotte, and so he gets up there, and everyone had been like, okay, who's the favorite in the ACC, and like who's a sleeper in the SEC. McDonough gets up there, looks at Molly McGrath, who he works with, and he goes, Molly, rank these towns. Ames, Waco, Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. McDonough will just say whatever. He's, yeah. he's hysterical, dude. Yeah, he's very funny. Um, dude, this has been awesome. I just have like a few more questions, and then maybe we get some Celtics outlook. Sure. Uh, some heat predictions, how they're going to beat you guys again. And then uh, okay, we sure. can get out of here. But my, I have one dumb announcer question because in, I think probably like your, um, you know, most famous call from this year is probably that Jalen Brown dunk. You had a great call on that. Absolutely. yammed on someone. I'm uh, blanking on who it was, but uh, Rudy Gobert. Th- Rudy, Rudy Gobert. Gobert. There we Thanks, go. Thanks, man. When I hear that, like hear you saying that, I think if I were 
calling the game, I would react in my head. I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, I just crushed that call. Like, you know, I don't know, any anyone who's played a sport, if you hit a home run or you make a spot, make a shot, like in your head, you get proud of yourself. There's times on the podcast where I make a good joke or like I ask a good question. I'm like, let's go. I nailed that. Yeah. Are you in the game like after you make that call and you don't stutter at all and you're screaming and then they go back down the other side of the court or you're like, all right, let's go. Like I crushed that. A little bit. Yeah, I probably shouldn't admit this, but yeah, a little bit. Um, it kind of feel like I just I feel like you have to be. Yeah, take my headset off, grab a beer. Like my, my job is done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, thanks for saying that. That That's probably one of my favorite calls we've had all year because it was Gobert. Uh, right. You know, Rudy Gobert is like, one of the most hateable players in the NBA. So I, for, I knew people would really appreciate yeah. the talk extra because of that. And uh, what I said was Brown on his head, he climbed the stifle tower. And I like being in that moment, it's like adrenaline kicks in. And that's part of the reason I love play-by-play is because to me, it's the closest thing to actually playing in the game that you can get if you're not a player. Yeah. Uh, that, that's why it's my favorite thing to do. Like I love, you know, doing this stuff and anchoring shows and reporting, but play-by-play has always been my favorite for that reason. And so he throws it down and it's like time stops for a second. And I'm like, should I really use the stifle tower nickname? <laughs> and I, yeah. I went for it and people seem to like it. So yeah, th- those, those moments are so cool, dude. And working for the Celtics, like it's, it's just fun. Like another reason I feel like I'm lucky is because to join this team this year, pretty sick. Um, people really care about the Celtics always, but especially this season, because they're one of the favorites to win the championship and Red Sox had a horrible year. The Patriots suck. The Bruins right. you know, in, like embarrassed themselves in the playoffs last year. So yeah. people are still hesitant to buy back in. So everyone's all in on the Celtics. Yeah. It is, I give you guys so much credit. The Like how instinctually you have to be in the moment to, because it's saying something like the stable tower. It sounds like you saw the play thought of what to say. And then you're like, all right, replay it right now. And I'll, <laughs> I'll say this line. The fact that you guys are able to do it, like just in the moment is crazy. But, um, Adam, you could go ahead if you have any questions on the Celtics, because I know he was just talking about how they're they they unfortunately are. As if you couldn't tell, I'm I'm a bit of a Celtics hater. Yeah. Um, mainly because of Bill Simmons. But <laughs> if 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 you guys want to uh I don't know, discuss because I have some thoughts on or some questions on on the future of the season, but they unfortunately are probably the best team in the league. Sure. Yeah. So Drew, I mean, I'm not sure how much you know about this, but I'm a big Celtics fan. I'm kind of like the Boston sports guy for the podcast. Uh, when when people like Patty blindly hate on the greatest team to ever grace the court. Um, but uh, first of all, a personal question. So your gig right now is away games for NBC Sports Boston. And I think I read that you're taking over full time next year. Is that kind of the idea or the plan? Yeah. So uh, you know, unless I get fired this year, that is the plan. So um, the the reason we're doing it like that is so Mike Gorman, as you know, Adam has been doing this for forty plus years. Total legend. This is his forty third awesome. year. What's that? I said he's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you said. No, that. I would love to. I, he's the best part about Celtics in my. Good. Good. I know you're a hater, but no one can hate yeah, on Mike. Exactly. Gorman. Yeah. You got to tip your cap there. Yeah, so he's you know he doesn't want to travel as much. He's he's up there in age, and so he he knew that he wanted to step aside at some point, and so this is kind of a nice way to like pass the baton. And so starting next year, I'll be doing all the games. That's a um, that's a really interesting way of doing it, but I guess it does make sense because then you get like everyone's reactions about how you're doing the games, but at the same time, you still get like a farewell tour for him. Um, yeah. On that topic, 
from what I've seen, the reactions are pretty good to your calls and, and the way you uh, listen. We 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 look up Cole Swider on Twitter four times a day, and it's not <laughs> yeah. always positive. It's not always negative. Um, how do you respond to those comments when you see good ones and bad ones? And uh, are you unflappable, or do you kind of like take it to heart sometimes? Oh yeah, no, I wish I were unflappable, but I, I can be flapped. I, you can you can get to me. I'm not unflappable. Um, I see it. You know, I'm, I'm probably on Twitter too much. I I've started. You know, when I first started doing the job, I know it's it's still new, but when I first started, I was really, really worried about how people would respond to me uh, because like we talked about, Mike's a legend and you know, we talked about the fan base too. I know how much this team means to people and I know how much the broadcast means as well. The Mike and Tommy show was like the number one show in Boston for like 35 years. When I say the Mike and Tommy show for non-Celtics fans, I'm talking about the game broadcast, but it was Mike Gorman and Tommy Heinsohn. And if you're not a Celtics fan, you might not have enjoyed it. Pretty homerific, you know, mostly Tommy, the late, great Tommy Heinsohn, Mr. Celtic. Um, and I know that there is a really strong relationship between the fans and the announcers. And, you know, in addition to the basic human nature of wanting to be liked, I mean, we all want to be liked. And, you know, that's something that, especially in announcing and what we do, it's it's natural. Like, you just want people to like you. But beyond that, like, I know the importance of this show. And so it's really important to me that people enjoy it, not necessarily enjoy me and what I'm doing, but just still can feel like they're watching the Celtics and not like they have to hit the mute button or anything. Like they're still having fun with us and learning stuff and we're doing our job. So I was really dialed into that at the start, probably too much. Um, and if I if I saw a negative comment, it would it would bother me. Um, and I, I would like take it to heart and think, do I need to change something? And you know, it's been really great with that is Scal. Like I'll tell Scal if, if someone says something negative and he'll be like, dude, like, you know what you're doing. Like, you're the right guy for this. I gave you this job for a reason. And he, he'd tell me like during the audition process, like I knew right away you could do this at a high level. And he's just been extremely supportive. Um, and I think about, you know, have you guys ever seen Better Call Saul? You guys ever watched that show? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a huge fan for two here. So there, there's, a, there's a moment where one of the Salamancas says to the main character, you're the guy for this. You're the guy. And I, I think about that because he's trying to convince him to do something illegal, basically. And he's like nervous. And so he says, you're the guy for this. I think about that a lot. I think it's a good way to you know sort of break through imposter syndrome because I deal with that, man. Like, yeah, Mike, Mike Gorman's been doing this job almost twice as long as I've been alive. So trying to follow in his footsteps is a shit ton of pressure. Um, and I did, I did get dialed into that early and it bothered me, but now I'm sort of in a good space and the, the positive comments, which is most, most of what I see and people who come up to me and, you know, in the arena or like out in the real world, it's mostly positive And that means a ton. And I tell that to people, cause I think they might expect it to be like, like it rolls off the shoulders or whatever. And I don't actually care, but I really do. Like, I really, right. really do care if people like me and so far so good for the most part, I hope. You have an idea for where you want to be in a like your dream goal in the I think we all know like this industry it's like a winding path like you'll get there sometimes you got to jump a bunch of jobs but that's usually for people that start much lower or at a lower spot at age 26 so what is your kind of plan moving forward I'm not asking when you're leaving I'm asking what's (laughs) what maybe 10 years from now what your plan is 
Dude, the cool thing, Adam, is I literally don't want to leave. Like, I actually joke with Mike. I'm like, dude, I'm coming for your record. This is your 43rd year. I'm trying to hit 44, which is a good number for for Syracuse. Um, I, I actually feel really blessed because this is where I want to be until I retire. And, you know, obviously I want to keep doing more national stuff. I still work for ESPN, so I do college football, some college hoops, some lacrosse, and, you know, hosting Center a couple times in a few weeks here. And I, I love doing that stuff. And hopefully – that continues to ascend and I get to do some NBA on ESPN, maybe some NFL down the road, but you're right, man. It's, I think it's pretty rare to basically have my dream job at 26. And so I feel super fortunate for that. And I'm just going to try not to mess it up. And hopefully I'll be with the Celtics for 50 years or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Drew. I I know we were going to get into some NBA talk, NBA talk, but, uh, I think we're going to save that for so we can force you to come back on when Swider is able to join us, and uh, yeah. we could break down maybe maybe mid season around the All Star break and uh, see how our Heat, my Bucks, and your Celtics are doing, and break it down from there. But um, no, that was a super fun conversation. Like I said, we've been waiting a long time to have you on. Um, always easy, Lewis, when the interview is with someone who's better at speaking into a microphone than you are. <laughs> so we appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I can't say I'll be rooting for the Celtics, as you can tell, but I'm definitely rooting for Drew Carver. So appreciate you joining us. Much love, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Go Cuse. What's up, everybody? Thank you guys for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed this week's show. To find out who will be joining us next week, make sure you're following us on all social media platforms at Swider Show on Instagram, at Swider Show on Twitter, and at Swider Show on TikTok. We also recently developed our very own YouTube page, www.youtube.com slash at Swider Show and subscribe. You can send in a mailbag question to be featured on the show, swidershow at gmail.com. And of course, if you haven't already, make sure to turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode week to week. Cole Swider Show with Patty Casey is presented by Blue Wire Podcast and our executive producer, Adam Lewis. Swider Show is created by Cole Swider, Patty Casey, and producer Adam Lewis. All rights reserved. Thank you guys. We'll see you next week.